What's happening, Rebel Matters family? How are you? I am sitting on the steps out the back garden of my ma's house in Belfast recording this and it's going to be a bit of a different podcast. I'm actually sitting right beside the spot in the garden where when I was about six and somebody told me that Neighbours was in Australia, which was down under. I tried to dig a hole all the way to Australia. I didn't get very far, but there's still a wee bit of the hole left, actually. I thought I was doing a good job at the time. I'm up in Belfast because I was on duty, kind of, for the Palestine Community Gym Project. You might have remembered from a few weeks ago when the Eurovision Song Contest was being held in Tel Aviv. We had a few fundraising events on around the country. There was the song for Palestine in Cork, Upstairs Unplugged, which was a massive success. That was a karaoke night organised mostly by Keelan Sherlock. And then there was also the Songs Against Apartheid event, which was up in the Dunkern Centre in Belfast. And as well as that, we had a Lone Moor event up in Clornamona as well as a Move for Palestine event and they were all great successes and I was just in Belfast to go around and meet the people who organised those events and collect the money from them and thank them from the bottom of all of our hearts for doing those events and also there was a bit of a balls up on that weekend which I was up here up, up here in Belfast to to fix that as well I organised a lot of stuff to be sent over from the West Bank handmade goods and crafts so that we could have a pop-up shop similar to the one that we had down in Cork in December which was a massive success but whenever I went to rent a van the guy in the shop was just about to hand me over the keys for the van and he says give us your driving licence sir and I'll photocopy it for you and sure wasn't my driving license two years out of date so no van and no anla in belfast and no pop-up shop so i was just going around today collecting the stuff which was delivered to a few different spots around belfast and now i've got three big boxes of palestinian goods to get back down to cork so we're going to have a pop-up shop in cork very soon and keep the ear to the ground for details of that we've got some lovely stuff ceramics wine glasses handmade embroidery books the Palestinian cafes, uh, olive oil and lots of other stuff so I'm going to organise something to get that stuff sold on for the benefit of the Palestine Community Gym project very soon and I'll let you know whenever that's happening. The Palestine Community Gym project it's kind of at a critical stage at the minute we're working really hard and the thing has kind of gone into a bit of an overdrive the team is working kind of around the clock we're meeting up on most days now on one aspect or another of the project the fundraising is going on quite well we've got nearly five and a half grand in the GoFundMe and we've got about uh, seven or eight now I think in the actual bank account so we're nearly halfway there to the 30 grand target and I think we're going to make it if you want to support it obviously you can go to the GoFundMe page which is gofundme.com forward slash westbank gym and you can also come along to some of the events we've got the retro sweat event coming up on the 15th of june two o'clock in ackley we're going to have a kind of 80s stroke 90s dance aerobics class with retro gear legra headbands and a bit of Mr. Motivator and Jane Fonda as well as a live DJ at Ackley so you can come along to that there it's just a donation based event and then 
we're getting completely stuck into organizing the gym jam we're just nailing down the lineup and the running order of the day but that is going to be a class day and night we're going to have family friendly events during the day in the car park we're going to have the market during the gym jam as well some palestinian goods being sold there and then we're also going to have uh, a night of music and dance that'll be more of an over 18s thing from eight o'clock onwards so you can just find out about that by keeping in touch with the palestine community gym social media accounts there's the palestine gym on instagram and palestine community gym on facebook so i'm just back from a bit of a walk around and a walk around andy town in west belfast and i think about what i was going to talk about today i haven't got a guest lined up because of the how busy we've been with the palestine gym in the last couple of weeks and also with Ackley so it's just me and you for tonight going to give us a little bit of an outdoor podcast it's the first time I've recorded a podcast by myself outside and it's 10 o'clock at night 10 past 10 Thursday night this is going out on Friday morning if I can manage to rattle something semi-interesting out for you and I was just walking around the road getting the head right trying to get into the zone for this podcast and seeing thinking about what I was going to talk about and I think I want to talk a little bit about social infrastructure i read this book recently that i've mentioned before on the podcast palaces for the people which is by a guy called eric klinenberg i would highly recommend that book basically he discusses the effects that certain social infrastructures have on communities health prosperity and overall wellness especially in the face of uh, crisis or emergencies like floods or extreme weather conditions and things like that and it kind of got me thinking how that compares to some of the infrastructures that I'm familiar with both here in Belfast in Cork and as it relates to the Palestine project so I think I'd like to talk about that a little bit more because I think it's really really interesting and Another thing that kind of came to mind that might be a cool thing to talk about in this podcast is the fitness industry. And I was thinking of maybe doing a bit of a deconstruction on the fitness industry as I say it. And as it relates to the 13 odd years of experience that I have in working in that industry as a student, as an athlete, as a coach, as a lecturer and as a business owner i think it's a quite a broad range of experience so i think we'll try for that there so as i said it's just me and you for this podcast so hit the subtitle button if you're not used to my accent and you're not able to figure it out yet i'm only joking there is no subtitle button you're gonna have to do your best i'll try and speak as slow as i can so let's give it a wee lash
let's start off with a bit of a chat on the topic of social infrastructure. So I've just walked from my mom's house, the house that, that me and both my brothers grew up in, in Andytown, and I walked about one mile down the road to where the Andytown barracks used to be, and then up the Glen Road and back down to my house. And there were a few really, really kind of prominent pieces of social infrastructure, both positive and negative, that I walked past there and that's what got me thinking about the subjects that I would like to include in this in this wee podcast. And as I mentioned in the intro, Palaces for the People is the book that got me started off thinking about this kind of stuff as it relates to what we're going to be talking about here. But the social infrastructures that I was thinking of discussing in this podcast are pieces of ground and infrastructure that have been there, there or not there. And both when they were there and when they're not there have had a big effect on on my life and I guess the the lives of people around here as well. And I think it's a good example of how pieces of social infrastructure can relate. The Palaces for the People book is based mostly in America with a couple of European examples. So I think it would be nice to bring it home a little bit and give some examples of how uh, social infrastructure affected our lives in here in West Belfast. And um. We're right beside the main road here, so I don't know if you can hear the sirens going up and down. Adds a bit of dramatic effect to the outdoor podcast. It'll be interesting to see how this comes out. Let me know what you think about the ambient sounds whenever you're listening to it. Anyway, I was walking down the road. As, or sorry, as I was saying, uh, the social infrastructure thing, the whole idea about that is that it's social infrastructures are, are things that affect communities and affect the health of the people who live around that social infrastructure. Things like libraries... Uh, cafes, green areas, sports clubs, uh, flood defences even or can be social infrastructures also if they're turned into places where people can meet and that are useful to create interactions and connections between people within the community. And when I was walking down the road here at the Town Road, the first major piece of social infrastructure that is actually out of action and decommissioned at the minute is Casement Park. Casement Park is the main GA ground for the Antrim GA team and a number of years ago they decided that they were going to close it down and rebuild a new stadium which kind of gave a lot of hope to the area in general because we thought we were going to be getting a class new stadium that was going to bring more employment and more people and more events and more big matches into the area but to go back a bit before that whenever we were kids Casement Park was like the mecca for anyone around here who played GAA and the GAA itself is a major piece of the social infrastructure here in West Belfast. You can walk to about seven clubs right from this house, walk like within 20 minutes of 20 minutes, half an hour, uh, walking of here or even five minutes driving from here anywhere. You've got Neve Paul, Rosses, Sarsfields, Neve Trassis, St John, St Gauls, Lav Yarrig and a couple more, the clubs that are knocking around. So they've really served as a major piece of a major positive piece of the community here in West Belfast. And for everyone who played for those clubs, Casement Park was like the mecca. Every time I was going up and down the road, it's right on the main road, the Andytown Road, and I used to pass it two, three, four times a day, going to school, coming back from school, going down the road to the shops or going into town or anything out there, you'd always pass it. And every single time, there's a little gap in the wall of Casement Park where you could see 
down a little slope and you could see onto the pitch and I just made it kind of a bit of a ritual to make sure that I looked in to pay respects to the unbelievable playing ground and stadium of dreams that was Casement Park and see who was playing there but even if there wasn't someone playing there you'd be I'd be just looking into it just to kind of better pay a bit of homage to it because it was always the big ambition to play there and I played there loads of times even if there was a team playing there you could see the scoreboard from the road as well so you try and catch a glimpse of the scoreboard across the other side of the ground as you were passing in a taxi and I was always wishing that we'd be stuck in a wee bit of traffic just as we were passing that split in the road so I could have a look into it and see if there was someone playing and see if we could catch the score on the scoreboard which was away over on the other side and that kind of, I suppose, that was one of the things that really drove me to improve my hurling skills and try and get on the Andrum teams because the Andrum teams were always playing down there and I got that chance. I played in Casement Park with the Bunskull Football Farsha when I was in primary school. Played there under 12 in the Nipperquin final with St John's against St Paul's. Played there with Andrum. Got a training session in there with Sean O'Gohalpin when he came up to visit our school when I was 14 and then ended up becoming friends with him. Uh, when I moved down to Cork and started playing for Napiercy and played their under 16 for Andrum played loads of games minor, under 21, senior watched loads of games down there was there for the 2001 hunger strike commemorations when Christy Moore came and sang Back Home in Derry and we were all there in the Lash and Rain um, commemorating the hunger strikes and it was there in 2006 again whenever we had a 25 year anniversary of the hunger strikes and the people from all around West Belfast came and congregated on Casement Park and I remember going in there when I was a kid Joe Rogan's Hurley factory was up in the stand and just getting in there and getting the smell of sawdust and being able to speak to the absolute giant that Joe Rogan was um, up there making Hurleys and being able to get Hurley fixed in there or order a couple of hurleys or going down to pick hurleys up or even just talking about hurleys and seeing them getting made was an unbelievable experience as as a young lad 12 13 years old going down there and um being able to do that just basically at the doorstep and i think that when you look at what that did for the people in the community and the young people like me around it really kept us out of trouble kept us with a spirit of kind of motivation and ambition to get into casement park to be playing there and to be able to walk on, on the pitch and hopefully be victorious with our teams in there. And what's after happening subsequently is that there was basically a very inadequate consultation process, if any, of a consultation process with the local residents around Casement Park. And the plans that were made were completely, uh, what's the word? completely not sort of appropriate or uh, what the hell is the word I'm thinking of now Orstenach is the word in Irish uh, unsuitable the plans were completely unsuitable for the roads infrastructure and the parking and the it was going to have a major negative impact on the residents around the area so of course there were there were big protests and we're no no strangers to having a protest around this part of the world and the residents stepped up and, and blocked 
the the plans and it wasn't just the residents in the the immediate locality but anyone with half a brain would have known that the casement park plans initially were unsuitable for the the place that they were trying to put that stadium into so the plans got put on hold between one thing and another and that's been going on for a few years now and now casement park is an absolute shambles the grass is up i'd say over hip height the pitch is completely closed off and it's just fallen down it's in a complete a state of complete disrepair everyone like nobody's amb- ambitions are to play in casement park now the young people haven't got the same uh carrot and stick as we had whenever we were kids and i think that 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 must be having a major negative impact on young people maybe they don't even know that's having a negative impact on them but they certainly haven't got the positive influence that casement park gave to us and even the ability to go down and watch matches down there i was down there in the early 90s watching that team the Antrim team that got to the 1989 all Ireland final sambo woody and all those people that were giants back in the day playing in casement park and remembering thinking to myself that's going to be me someday I'm going to get on the Antrim team and that's a, a massively positive thing for young people to aspire to and that just isn't there anymore so that just kind of got me thinking of both sides of how that physical space became something that massively influenced the social connections within our community and that it's not there anymore and I mean this podcast it's not not the intention to be pointing the finger or giving out to anybody but people need to get their fucking finger out and get Casement Park back opened up for the people of West Belfast for Antrim GA and also for the people who are living around Casement Park because who wants a flipping overgrown falling down around your stadium and pitch right in your back garden nobody so it's time we get that place back open again but that was the first part of social the first kind of social infrastructure thing that I passed on my way down the road and then walked down a little bit further and it came to a piece of social infrastructure a piece of physical infrastructure that had a major influence on on the community in every way shape or form that when it was there was a massive negative influence and now that it's not there it's a more of a positive place I've got a picture of it actually and it's the site of the old Andy Town Barracks which was an absolute scar on the face of West Belfast, this massive garrison with big boulders in front of it uh, and it was like a big concrete building in the shape of a triangle right at the junction between the Falls Road or between the Andy Town Road, the Falls Road and the Glen Road and right outside Milltown Cemetery if anybody's familiar with that and it was huge, a big concrete building with metal a metal sort of a layer and fence above the concrete part and then another uh, mesh above that massive surveillance towers climbing up out of the barracks and one of those big massive sliding doors that you see in prison uh, whenever someone's getting out of jail in a movie like the Blues Brothers where the big massive metal door just slides across one of those doors and they'd be have the, the Union Jack up there all the time and the cops and the army would be in and out with their armoured cars. It had boulders all along the front and uh, it had um, to stop people from ramming into it and attacking it. That was just my mum coming out to say hello there. Um, hopefully she doesn't lock me out in the back garden here. And every time we walked past it, we just had this sense of being watched, uh, being occupied and a sense of it was a sense of hatred towards the people that were in were in there and that were doing this occupation and that were after taking a part of, of our community's land and putting their army into it and 
Um, I mean, it's not as if the cops back then in the 90s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s were even doing anything useful because there's loads of stuff happened around here. It was like the Wild West back then with anti-social behaviour and if you called the cops back then to come out because somebody was stealing your car, breaking into your house, they wouldn't even come out. They wouldn't, they wouldn't want to. They would come out, more likely come out and hang out with the joyriders and people who are stealing cars to befriend them and nearly encourage them to create more damage in the community or try and turn them into informers. So nothing positive came out of that place. And then in the early 2000s, I can't remember what year exactly it was, but I must have been about 18 or something like that, when they decided that the army and the cops moved out of there. They closed the barracks down and eventually it got demolished. And at the time, actually, I was working, I must have been in first or second year of university at the time because I was walking, I was working in Ashlingare in the Calderland for the summer with my dad and we were walking up the road, up the Falls Road and uh, my dad, Garage Carlan, started thinking that he should organise something on the grounds of the barracks and it was just after getting knocked down that week, the rubble was still actually on the ground. Uh, part of it, most of it was taken away but there were still pieces of brick and stuff and stone laying on the ground where the barracks did stand. And we walked up to the neighbor who was actually neighboring right beside, there's actually an ant crawling on my computer here. The neighbor who lived beside the barracks site and asked him if we could use electricity from his house if we were to organize a bit of a keely on the ground of the barracks. And in my head at the time, I was thinking this sounds like a good idea, but I don't know if we're gonna be able to pull it off. And he organized to get a, um, a Keeley band to come down and the the standard Bannon T for Keeleys around here is of course Myra and Eve Reuter. So we got Myra to come down, got a, I bought a gazebo down in B&Q and we popped it up on the ground just in case it was raining. And then Eamon O'Kanan or Eddie Keenan, who's passed away now, came down and to sing or on the vein. So we were there, it was a really nice day. But there was a Keeley band there, Eamon was there, Myron Eve Reuter was there, there was about five or six of us there ready for the Keeley, but nobody else. And um, then the band struck up. I went over to Curly's to get some crisps and water and stuff like that to try and attract people in. I stole the trolley from Curly's, rolled it back over. And then when the Keeley band started, the McInnes pub or the Gravediggers, as it's known as loads of people were kind of drinking outside of that because the weather was quite sunny and they came across and within about half an hour, there was about 200 people dancing this big keely on the ground of one of the places that was the most negative places in the whole of West Belfast for all of us, for many, many reasons. And it was kind of like a reclaiming of the land. Eamon O'Kanan sang or on the vein on the grounds of that barracks. And anyone who would have known Eddie will know the significance of, of that moment and we danced the absolute shit out of it um, with Myrony Ruder doing Ban and Tea for, for a few hours that day and for me it's, it's a really defining moment of reclaiming land um, that was taken uh, from us and that was used for very negative purposes so that's another piece of infrastructure that had a very uh, negative impact on the community while it was there and a more positive impact now it's got kind of a bit of a garden there now and it's used as a site for murals and 
there's been a few it's been a, a loca- the location for a few set out protests and stuff like that and it's in a really visible place at the junction so um, it's nice that, that 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 piece of land has been reclaimed by the community so I was walking up the road further I went up the Glen Road then where am I going to next I'm going up the road and walked down Bingham Drive and up to the Glassmullen Green which is a big council ground right around the corner from where we live in the house that we grew up in and it actually used to be the site for the biggest barracks in the whole of the six counties the barracks was called Silver City and it was so big that it blocked out all the light for the houses all the natural sunlight for the houses that were around it it was closed down before we moved down here so I don't have any direct experience of Silver, the Silver City barracks but I heard a lot of things about it and I've seen pictures of it and how big the walls were and this pitch is huge so I can just imagine how big it was how big it looked and how imposing it was whenever the barracks was there and I'm not sure if this is 100% true but I haven't verified it but someone did tell me that R Street which is just around the corner from here from where I'm talking about the the Glass Mullen Green is actually a cul-de-sac and someone told me before that the Brits actually blocked our street off as a, and made it into a cul-de-sac so that there would be less roads leading up, leading up to the barracks so it seems quite plausible I'll have to just get someone to verify that for me so if anyone out there who's listening to this knows uh, drop me a message and let me know if you think that's true or not but anyway this green was an absolute lifesaver for us it was where we spent day and night hurling around like loads of times we'd be pucking around up there organising games between ourselves uh, having fights with each other as well just to sort out our differences and there'd be people that are walking their dogs loads of funny stories from up there one day this absolute mental dog who had rabies or something uh, chased me and Carbra while we were up there having a few pucks and we had to run into someone's house uh, it was quite a scary moment but quite a few times when we were up there the British army would be patrolling would start a patrol across the green and then we'd have good target practice trying to hit them uh, with the slitter and we definitely connected a few times and on a few other occasions helicopters would come down one time a big Chinook helicopter was one of those helicopters with the two rotors on top of it their big personnel carriers landed into the pitch and loads of soldiers jumped out and started a patrol such was the times back then but the importance of glass mullen green this this council ground it's just an open ground for young people in the area to play meet together um, practice their skills there used to be a camogie team deirdre that used to train up there as well and we trained there a few times with the school and stuff like that when there was no other pitch available but the importance of that type of ground that's open access it's free and there's no restrictions as to who can go there or what time you can go there is massive and what they're actually trying to do now is build I think they're trying to build some sort of a a closed off five-a-side facility there I think one of the local schools is after purchasing the ground or they've been given the ground and they're going to build a big fence around it and make it into a more of a pay-as-you-go facility or something like that and there is a campaign in around this area to not let that happen and I think that's a, a crucial campaign as social infrastructure goes having these green areas where people can just go and walk their dogs hang out play and do whatever they want to do has a massive massive impact on I would say the lives of young people because they have somewhere to go 
it relieves pressure from families because people don't have to be cooped up inside and there is somewhere relatively safe for kids to go and hang out and it has a, a big impact on mental health as well because you've got a place where you can go and do your recreational activities without having to pay any money or without, have, without having to have any roadblocks and putting a paywall or even putting a physical fence up is going to hinder that one way or another. So that's another piece of social infrastructure that had a massive positive influence on our lives when we were kids and potentially is going to not be there for young people as well. And if that does happen, if that if thing if places like that become pay-as-you-go facilities, then that's just another way of commodifying the people that live around those those facilities, of getting a little bit more money out of people who live in the local area and that's maybe a good place to lead on to the next topic that I thought would be interesting to discuss as part of this podcast, which was the, the kind of deconstruction of the health and fitness industry, because that is totally based on the commodification of people and the exploitation of the potential clients or customers. And I think that that may be a good thing to, to discuss a little bit, especially because of my experience and my own sort of professional involvement in strength and conditioning and coaches. To put that into a bit of context, as I mentioned earlier, I have been working in this area for about the last 13 years. I did uh, studied sports studies in St Mary's uh, Christian Brothers School from A-levels and then went on to do a degree in sports and exercise science in UL. Then within the study and started a PhD course in UL, which I actually didn't finish because by the time I'd done two years of it, first of all, the, all the jobs that I had got cut because the recession kicked in, but I knew I didn't want to be in the academic life as a, way, as a career. So I just did a master's in research instead in biomechanics and strength and conditioning. I worked over in Australia for the best part of a year with the Adelaide Crows football team, trained the Cork football team when I was down in Cork, um, worked for setting up a, a strength and conditioning facility for Napiercy, lectured for Satanta College, set up Ackley, of course, six years ago this year. And I still go up and down to UL once or twice a year to do talks, guest lectures for the sports and exercise science students up there. So I think that's after giving me quite a broad range of experience, especially with the last six years of Ackley. There's a helicopter there now as well. You're getting the full West Belfast experience. There's a helicopter flying above the house. Probably looking down, checking out what we're doing down here. Yep, we're talking about just lads. Back off. Hopefully they don't stay too long. Interrupt. Interrupting our podcast here, lads. The fuck? I think there's actually two helicopters there. Anyway, let's carry on. The show must go on. What were we talking about there? Um, yes, the health and fitness industry. Right. Oh, a couple of people. Sorry about this now, lads. We just... Fuck off. Let me just give them a second to get out of the way. Um, whenever me and one of my brothers, Carbra, started training with uh, weightlifting and Olympic weightlifting in particular is kind of where we started off with our strength and conditioning properly. We heard that there was a weightlifting club down in Beachmount Leisure Centre on the Falls Road and one day we rocked up in there and who was in charge of this weightlifting club but the late and great Eddie Finnegan. I don't know if there's much about him online but when we started training with him, he was about 80 years old and apparently had a couple of records, masters, and was 
a weightlifting coach for years and years and years. He told us he used to have about 60 people in uh, the big hall down at Beachmont Leisure Centre doing Olympic weightlifting. And his favourite exercise was the good morning exercise, where you would put a bar on your shoulders and uh, kind of, if you don't know it, it kind of looks like a deadlift, except the bar's on top of your shoulders instead of on the ground, where you push your hips back and you kind of fold over at the hips, keeping your chest out. And it's a massive exercise for the, the glutes and the hams. And a really good one for building overall strength. And he said he did so many good mornings that he was coming out of the, the leisure centre one time after doing a, a session. And these lads jumped on him and he was able to just pop them off his back because he was so strong. But Eddie was a great guy to train with, real old school guy. He used to get us to do 10 sets of 10 and just about every exercise you can think of. We've been there for over three hours training. Um, proper old school there was no music allowed in that gym and he said are you here to listen to music or are you here to train and just moving around a little bit there getting pins and needles in my leg and um, zero tolerance drug policy in that place it was the most no nonsense place I've ever trained it was actually in a converted squash course there was one of those tiny little doors and there was no windows no radio and the weights were just popped up along the side around the corner of the floor loads of padding on the floor to protect it and one squat rack, one bench, and then the rest was just floor space for doing the Olympic weightlifting um, exercises. That's kind of where we started off from. Then um, I went into the weightlifting club down in UL. That was kind of a, a really great period, a golden period in the, the weightlifting uh, in UL. It's kind of where, when we started the weightlifting club back then, around 2004. And another old school guy <laughs> who I spoke about quite a lot on the podcast is Mick the Iron Man Murphy who I met in 2010 down in Kerry and well worth going back and listening to the bits of recordings that I've got with him on the podcast. So where are we going to start with this here? I suppose if we go back to the start of the founding of Ackley because that's when I started becoming more aware of the way that quote unquote you're supposed to do things when it comes to promoting a business and promoting yourself as a coach and even from starting off getting the business off the ground, that would be a good place to go from. And we could also, I think it's important that we frame what we have in Ireland. I mean, and I suppose by and large in the Western world as well, like we have got a quote unquote obesity problem. And I say quote unquote obesity problem because what an actual fact, the obesity is more likely a symptom of the problem. The problem being that we have this absolute abundance of shite food and a kind of sedentary lifestyle that is that has been designed for us so that we just work more and eat more shit, buy more shit and be sicker so that we can fund or that we can keep on being customers of of the 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 health um industry I guess medical industry as well we have got a massive mental health issue which you could argue is um, contributed to because of the lack of connection and lack of sense of purpose that we have with each other which could also be contributed to or attributed to um, the kind of breaking down of community infrastructures a little bit like what we just talked about with uh, the social infrastructure stuff and that Palaces of the People book would be a really good place to learn a little bit more about that we were not active enough and that is true but that is for me 
also a symptom of the lifestyle that we've kind of been corralled into of being sitting behind desks and paying off debts or um, being in jobs that really don't get us outside and keep us locked up inside as commodities working for the big companies and making loads of money for other people <clears throat> and maintaining quite low levels of health ourselves. This is all like generally speaking, of course it's not blanket. Um, we're just having more of a casual chat here than anything else. And we also have a lot of back pain. There are some of the main problems and the back pain has been commodified as well when you think about it. MRIs are a big business here. Medication for back pain, surgeries for back pain and other other sort of orthopedic problems as well, like hip problems, are epidemic in the GAA now, and you could say. And I guess that kind of sets the scene for advertising to be done. We're being advertised at, um, and I know personally from reading the material that is out there for learning about business and the business courses that the way that the advertising world and the marketing world works is that you highlight the problem you say okay you have an obesity problem you're overweight and then you make it as personal as possible and you can drill down and say how does this make you feel how does this impact your life and then the person starts to feel worse about the problem that you're after highlighting for them then you show that you have the solution for this problem but there's only a limited amount of places, only six places left, or this offer's only gonna last, gonna last for one week. And then you fire some social proof at the person that you're marketing to. Like you say, look, this is the before and after. This is what this person did. Look how well they're after doing. This could be you. And then you make them an irresistible offer and you sell it to them and you get them in. And at the end of the day, advertising is about selling and marketing is about selling as well. We have this pressure to look a certain way also creating unattainable goals and making it sort of like too good to be true. That's what advertising is about. We're being sold stuff in the health and fitness industry that's based on building up our insecurities or creating insecurities that we didn't even have in the first place. Like putting up people of pictures of people with six packs and like, this could be you. Or um, six weeks to like your beach body or drop such and such amount of weight in 12 weeks and the attraction for that for us is that we have this desire to be healthier and to be fitter and that's sort of a primal instinct none of us want to be unfit and it's not to say that you can't become leaner and stronger move better and be more pain-free and have a more active lifestyle you can do those things and with the right approach and the dedication to it and a bit of a commitment to see it through for long enough to see positive results then you can definitely do that i'm not saying that it can't be done but it can't be done on the back of this kind of really superficial or exploitative marketing and advertising that's something i'd actually that we've really really tried to absolutely not do and not only not do it but do a more put ourselves forward in a more positive way and instead of trying to knock people down just so that they can buy our stuff we're trying to like bring people together and build people up and that comes with great that, that brings great results it does bring great results um, but on the face of it a lot of the time it seems that it's not as sexy because we're up 
sexy quote unquote because we're up against the people who are using all those kind of underhanded strategies of playing on people's insecurities to get them into to get us in to buy shitty products shitty training programs and then the other thing is that as Dan John says quite often anything works even the worst type of training program if you do it if you're going from being sedentary to doing something on a regular basis if you believe in it and you do it consistently even if it's not the best it is still going to work and the trick for us is the trick for all of us like collectively me and you guys that are listening is to do the things that are going to give us the most benefit and the things that are the most genuine and are going to give results for the long term and I think that the results it's not just about how you end up looking it's about what you learn in the process and the value that you carry forward with what you've learned into the coming months and years and the rest of your life and a lot of the times like you're not going to get that from buying some shitty supplement or doing some stupid training program that's been marketed by a celebrity and that's been boosted by these before and after pictures and that were that's popping up on your social media kind of flat out to try and get you in because there's only six spaces left and then the offer's going to finish next week all that stuff is absolute bullshit like don't buy into that and as as well as being bullshit it doesn't give any long-term value all the main objective in that thing is to get you to buy the shit after that it doesn't really matter what happens of it if enough people do it some people are going to get results and they're going to be on the next before and after pictures but for every one person who's on a before and after picture how many people are um kind of get that snapback effect where you go hell for leather for a few weeks and then you fall off the wagon and then get to a worse place than you started from in the first place and I have this thing in my head that I know is going to play like I'm trying to learn the guitar at the minute and I think that um, it's better to do it from the beginning I'm, I'm getting some lessons doing some online lessons instead of trying to learn it by myself and I know like in a year's time if I don't do it the right way I'm sit- I'll be thinking, sitting thinking why did I not do the lessons from the day one because now look how, how far I would be ahead now instead of trying to wing it and do it myself and do something um, that was ineffective at the beginning do it the right way the first time around do it once do it properly um, and I think that's a better way to approach our, our health and another thing that I always does my head in about the health and fitness industry is how nutrition is approached especially in gyms because a lot of gyms stock nutritional supplements and for me like it's a complete conflict of interest for a gym to be stuck on nutritional supplements and trying to give nutritional advice because you're always going to get the recommendation of just buy this supplement oh yeah you want some nutrition advice well first of all you should buy this supplement that we're stocking because it's really important for your health and that's bullshit as well that's based on making more profit from us as people as customers and as kind of commodities for the people who are selling the stuff and Nutrition comes down to the very basics of drinking enough water, cook once per day and eat three square meals, bring a packed lunch to work or to college or wherever you're going the next day. And if you do those basic things, then you can drill down a little bit, try and designate your treat day to one day, treat in commas because eat whatever you want, but we're all adults, we can eat whatever we want. But if you want to drill down and tighten up on the food and eat less sugary food or um, less sort of unhealthy food as such then just do it on one day and aim towards that day 
you can eat your highest carb carbohydrate count meal either side of your training session before or after and then um, the just going up the road there again interrupting the podcast um, and you can control your portion sizes Precision Nutrition is a great resource precisionnutrition.com you can go there there's loads of blogs articles and stuff like that that you can go and read about the nutrition but overall the nutrition uh, approach to get real results is very basic that's about doing those basic things consistently um, then you just need to build a a regular strength and conditioning or strength and movement training practice and have high general activity levels breaking this down very very simply here but it kind of highlights the point that we don't need to be soul shit to be healthy um, what makes what makes our um what makes us stick to something for long enough to get the results include having a clearly defined objective like a goal or having a purpose like you want to get fit because you want to be able to walk the Camino or climb a mountain or spend more time playing with your kids and then that really gives you a big boost of motivation and motivation that'll carry you through the shitty times because that's the thing with those kind of quick fix uh, programs is they might provide enough before and after pictures and bullshit testimonials to get you through the first six weeks of doing something that's absolutely insane but you're not going to be able to keep that going forever because life gets in the way and if you have a clearly defined objective or purpose and the motivation at the beginning and a sensible way and a sensible approach and a sustainable approach to training then that's going to keep you going for way way longer than some shitty product that you're after buying online because of the advertising and the marketing you have to trust the path that you're on so that you can see it through for long enough and for me that comes down to the expertise of the people that you're getting the information from the coaches and also other people that have been in a similar situation to you that have come through the process as well and that have had the success that is an important part of it and another crucial aspect is to have the social support around other people who are going through the same kind of process as you're going through the social support with those people advice from someone that you trust to help get you through the hard times whenever the shit hits the fan and whenever you fall off course to help you get back back get you back on course and another thing that's really important to keeping going on the track on on the right path for long enough to get the results is having minimal roadblocks to your participation so that's putting the time aside for your training and knowing that you have that time kind of booked out and that's the time you're going to be working on your your goals whatever they may be whether it's uh, fitness related music related or um training in the gym training outside that you have the facility to go to it you have the, the, the ability to go to your facility um quite easily that you don't have to track the whole way across town to get to the place or that it's not too expensive for you to go to it or that um you know that you just have the access to the facilities that you need to make your goal happen and you have access to the, to the place that you need to spend the time in to make it happen and then you, you know what to do i suppose the big thing about keeping on track uh one of the big things for me anyway which is why i kind of write my programs in advance of going into the gym for a session is that you want to avoid decision fatigue you don't want to be going in somewhere and being like what am i going to do today what do i have to eat what am i going to eat tomorrow it's about keeping it simple and then following through with that um so that's maybe an alternative kind of approach to to 
getting sucked into that exploitative kind of advertising and marketing trap. Uh, as well as that, actually, just to relate this back to the first half of the podcast about the social infrastructures, gyms should be a kind of social infrastructure in of themselves. That's exactly where the Palestine Community Gym Project has come from. It's not just about having a, a physical infrastructure where there's weights and the place, the, like whatever the equipment is there. It's about creating the social infrastructure where people come together. And a big thing for us and for me, which you don't get in commercial gyms, is the connections that are built within the walls of the training facility. For me, the most important connections that happen are the connection that you make with yourself when you're training, that you're learning how to use your body again, you're feeling uh, what feels good, what feels bad, and you, you can feel yourself getting fitter. There's the connection that you make with other people that are training there at the same time, and there's the connection you make with the coach. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I just keep coming back to it because it's such an important thing, and it's in such contrast to how commercial gyms are set up. When you think about it, commercial gyms are just set up based on a business model of getting a high volume of members to come in, mostly that sign up in the first week of January. The vast majority don't ever use it or use it very seldom, and we're all signed up then to direct debits. But even that thing about the connection, there's no social infrastructure there to create those connections. You don't really connect with anybody who's working there because they just buzz you in and you have to go off and do your own thing. You don't connect with the other people that are using the facility because everyone's on their phones or on treadmills or just going off doing their own things on their, on with their headphones in, which is something that we made a conscious effort and actually not to have. There's no screens. Uh, there's people don't wear headphones and we're always kind of like, in one way or another, interacting together, whether it's in a really one-to-one -one way or in a more subtle way but they're all in there training together and there's the connection that you make with the coach that you're you're building a relationship with someone who's helping you through the process that's really important as well and the result of that really is that you end up with a training method that promotes learning and productivity and um, I guess it's a process that you're going through as opposed to just being in a facility and you can just do whatever you want. And when you're in that place, when you're in the in the place of productivity and going through a process, it's way easier to stick the course for that in that way to follow through until you get the results compared to just being in a gym by yourself where you don't really know what you're doing. You're getting decision fatigue and even though there's loads of other people there, you're not making any connection with them, which can be a very lonely thing. Um, a very lonely situation to be in and of course commercial gyms can be a great resource for some people if you know what you're doing and you're just going and zone out for a while and then get out again but uh, for me it doesn't really promote the whole social infrastructure philosophy which is kind of one of the main reasons why I'm involved in, in Ackley why I set Ackley up to be something of a different facility and also a big reason why we're working on this Palestine community gym project so what do you think about that that was a bit of a rant about uh, the fitness industry and we've nearly been going for over 50 minutes now hope you're still here listening and enjoying it and enjoying the ambient sounds of west belfast as well oh another thing that actually that i wanted to, to maybe discuss on the podcast is how come we compartmentalize the different aspects of health so much and try and sell them all on as individual things for example gyms commercial gyms are selling the health the the fitness part of health the how much can you lift how much 
um, how far can you run or how fast can you run and then there's other parts of health that I think are very important like the way that we communicate together uh, the way that uh, like learning uh, that's why we have the book club uh, food is a massive part of health and how are the relationships that, we, the relationships that we have with food and that's compartmentalised as well in that like you go to the dietitian for your food advice you go to the gym for your fitness advice you go to the library for your books or you buy your books off Amazon um, and then you go to the bar for your socialising and I don't know really why we've broken them all down into such individual components and trying to sell them all off uh, as separate things because for me like health is one whole thing that has got different elements but that's something that we try and get under the same roof at Ackley and I'm not doing this podcast to promote Ackley it's just something that really interests me and is also relative to the the whole idea of social infrastructure so that's just another little point and maybe a good point to finish up on it is 11 o'clock at night I'm still sitting outside my ma's back garden beside where I tried to dig the whole of Australia with a half full bottle of cider getting my legs absolutely at to pieces by these ants that are all around the place a few of them on the screen right now so i am going to wrap this podcast up let me know what you thought about that stuff i think that i would like to open up the conversation further about some of the stuff that we discussed on the podcast here if you're still not used to my accent and you didn't understand anything you can drop me a message as well and i'll uh, maybe try and clarify some of the points that were lost in translation and that's it what episode are we on now episode 40 episode 47 of the rebel matters podcast done and dusted three percent left on the battery and i'm going to go and get the train back to cork tomorrow morning so i'll be on the train for about five hours let me know what you think about the podcast if you're listening to it on uh, friday or any other day for that matter and gichi and kederala achara gura milamwaigat as a vegeshtakt kinyi fiere go to the patreon for this podcast and support it with a monthly subscription if you would like to do so it is patreon.com and then find the rebel matters podcast there give us a like and review wherever you're listening to the podcast share it on your social media drop me a message get in touch and be nice to each other i think that's it now so eoi banak jay kenny fury slang of oil august chucky r laugh